0: If you have your Bible, um, David has, has read the passage to us already. It's often referred to as the, the parable of the prodigal son. And I think that Jesus told this story. I, I, who am I to tell you what I think? of you know, I, I'd love to know exactly why Jesus told this story. But I think um, Jesus told this story for us for for, uh, for a number of different reasons, a number of different le- levels. One maybe primary reason is for us, obviously, just to see something of God's heart for lost people. Don't you think that must be in there somewhere? It's just, it's a, such a well-known story, and, and I think it, it says so much about how God feels about lost people, doesn't it? I mean, that son coming back, and he's there, and he's got... He's got his arms open wide and he just wants to welcome the son. And I mean, the guy's made a mess of it, hasn't he? So it doesn't matter where you're at tonight. And and some of you are sitting there tonight and you're thinking, I've made a mess of it. Maybe you think I'm making a mess of it. Um, Certainly all of us have at some point in time in our lives. And then there he is, the father, and he just wants to welcome this guy back. And I think that just demonstrates something of of God's heart. And and some of you have been walking with Christ for a long time. And I think as as we walk with Christ for a long time, just like maybe, um, you know, we're married for a long time. You know, I've been here 19 years. I've been married for 19 years. And and I think, you know, the the longer you have a relationship like that, the longer it is, the, 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 the easier it is, for you to begin to take one another for what for granted isn't it and 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 you just forget how special you are to each other and i think the same thing maybe about some of us as we walk with christ just some of that wonder and 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 some of that that amazement that 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 we've had over the years Content to just really get swamped by the difficulties and the struggles and the growing kids and the retirement or whatever it might be. And I just great to come to stories like this and be reminded about how much God loves us. And he's just He's our Father. And He's there and He wants us to come running into His arms. And I I, I just I'm I'm so blessed by that. And, and I think that's one of the things that Jesus is doing here in this story. But I also think that He's I also think that He's giving us a, a um, just a big picture of the journey of faith. Um, I want to suggest to you tonight that Jesus is painting a picture here for us, for all of us. I don't care who you are here tonight. You might be here tonight and say say that right now I'm not a follower of Christ. I think you're in this story. You might be here tonight and you're just on the cusp of coming to realize Who Jesus really is I think you're in this story You might be here tonight And you've been walking with Christ And you're really excited And you're filled with joy and wonder And and it's all really fresh for you I think you're in this story You might be here tonight And you're you're beginning to lose A little bit of the focus perhaps And you need to just get re-energized I think you're in this story as well I think this is a story It's a parable So Jesus is trying to say something here to us it's a parable he's telling a story with, and it has, there's a meaning behind it he's trying to communicate something to us behind this story and I think what he's wanted, trying to communicate to us is this is a picture of the journey of faith and all of us are here on this journey somewhere tonight alright so that's where I'm going with this okay um, I, I've got an 11 point message alright there's 11 points to this message tonight alright so I, I, obviously I've got to move pretty quick through this all right, um, and I want to call this. If you want to give a title to this, I would say that these are the eleven points. That may, there may be eleven hundred. I don't know, but but I, but obviously, if I had eleven hundred, you'd never get home. So, eleven points, eleven steps on the road to redemption. Um, so that's what I want to call it, and that's where I want to go. All right. So let's get started. Here's step one, um, the first step on anybody's journey. Okay, um, and, and for this journey, I would like to suggest to you, I think it's pretty clear, that all of us begin this journey at exactly the same place. Doesn't matter where you're at tonight, doesn't matter whether or not you, you say you're a follower of Christ, or you're not a follower of Christ, or you're thinking about following Christ, or you've been following Christ, or whatever, you've begun this journey, all of us here tonight, at exactly the same point, Psalm 51, verse 5, says that we have been brought forth in, anyone know? Sin or iniquity. Alright? We've been brought forth in sin or iniquity. In sin, in fact, our mothers even conceived us. So before we even really got here, kind of out breathing into the world, we already had these, this original sin as a part of us. In other words, we're all born into the world sinners. Nobody is ever born into the world not a sinner. Everybody begins the journey of life in exactly the same place. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how you talk. I don't care where you're from. Everybody begins the journey of life, and even this spiritual journey, at exactly the same place. We're all level. We're all level. Because we're all sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. Alright? In other words, we don't come into the world and we're, you know, everything's fresh and it's just kind of this blank template that, that, that somehow our environment is going to write upon. Okay? We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Alright? And it doesn't take all that long for us to recognize that that's true. Okay? We sin because we're sinners. The, 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 the idea of some kind of spiritual slate just, just waiting to be written on is not a biblical idea um, that was kind of maybe a Marxist idea of, 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 of sorts and it's, it's, it's amazing the contrast there is between say something like Marxism and, and Christianity Marxism would have said something like on every man a new suit right, remember that? on every man a new suit that was kind of the idea of Marxism-Communism Christianity says, in every suit, a new man. See the difference? Massive difference. Massive difference. God begins to work from the inside out. And of course, the primary example for this is in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, In the beginning, the the environment, including man, was uncorrupted. It was unstained. It was perfect. And into that environment came the man and woman without sin. So it wasn't the environment that affected them, because the environment was perfect. It was they who exalted themselves and followed Satan's lie and wanted to place themselves above God and fell into that that sin. And so it's been ever since. So we don't come in neutral. We come in sinners dependent on self, focused on self, concerned with self, consumed with self. Don't we? That's exactly how we come in. And that's step number one. Step number two, then once you arrive in that kind of condition... Step number two is the subsequent undertaking to fulfill those desires. Okay? So if step number one is being born with this sin, or I'm going to call it this self-directed desire, you're consumed with self. Step number two is the subsequent undertaking to fulfill those desires. So you could say, whereas a good example of the first point would be a baby... What do babies love to do? Babies love to, what do they do all the time? And that They love to cry. They love to cry. They cry for loads of different reasons, babies, don't they? Babies cry because they're tired. Babies cry because they're hungry. Babies tired because they're wet. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one reason why babies don't cry. Babies don't cry because you've had a bad day. They don't, right? They're not, they don't care about you. They care about self. And boy, it just takes off from there. Because after a baby, then they're a toddler. Now, a toddler is a good example of the second point here. An undertaking to fulfill this desire. Okay, in the story here, you, you, you look at this maybe in verse 13. Not many days later. All right? It doesn't take a long time for somebody to arrive on the scene with a self-directed desire, and then undertake to fulfill that desire. It doesn't take too long. The younger son gathered everything together. He went on a journey to a distant country. And what did he do there? He squandered everything he had, his estate, everything that he had on loose living, we're told. You know what that is? That's becoming a slave to your desires. And um, you do that to the extent that you'll, you'll do anything and everything in your power to get these desires satisfied and that's what happens as we come into the world that's how we come into the world, we've got sin, we've got a self-directed desire no sooner are we here than we just want to fulfill that desire and perhaps maybe the best place again to see this is just in the life of little children you toddlers are a good example, you, you, you put a whole bunch of toddlers together in the room do you, you guys have crash? Right I had to learn what that was when I got here. You know what a crash was? We called it a nursery. Crash. And, or you've got mothers and toddlers. You guys have those groups. And so you've seen this before. you've got brothers and sisters. You've, you see, put a whole bunch of toddlers together in a room. It's dangerous. But you do it, and you put them all together in a room. And let's say you did that, and they're all sitting in a circle, and you take one toy and throw it in the midst. Right, And then you run for the hills. I'll guarantee one thing you've never seen. You've never seen one of those little two-year-olds or three-year-olds pick that toy up and say, Here, yours. Isn't that something, though? Isn't that amazing? You've never seen that. Why? It's always what? Mine. And that's what we're like. I think that's what this story is telling us. Not many days later. doesn't take long for you to arrive on the scene of this world and immediately, because you're a sinner... What do you do? You just want to feed yourself. You want to fulfill that desire. Okay. Step three. Step one, revelation of a self-directed desire. Step two, an attempt to fulfill it. Step three now is the sad realization that after we have done all that we can to fulfill our own heart's desires, guess what? We're still unfulfilled. All right? This is life. You guys live with these people. You work with these people. You see it all the time. You probably see it in your own life, don't you? You've got this. You're constantly trying to satisfy yourself with all the stuff that's around you. Are you satisfied? Does it satisfy you? No, it doesn't. It never does. Most people, though, still haven't got that. They're still trying to do that. But the third step here is that we've done all that we can and we're still unfulfilled. Look at verse 14. And when he had spent everything, this guy had done everything he could to to fulfill his own desires. To fill that hole, maybe, sometimes. We talk about, you know, that God-shaped hole. A bit unbiblical, really. It's not quite said that way in Scripture, but let's say that's the idea. When he had spent everything... Was he happy? No, look at him. A severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be in need. Now maybe the best way to describe this is through what's commonly called the next big event syndrome of life. Have you ever heard that before? The next big event syndrome of life. Even if you haven't heard it, I bet you've lived it. As a child we say, if only I were a teenager. As a teen, we say, if only I were an adult. And as an adult, we say, if only I were married. As a spouse, we say, if only I had kids. As a parent, we say, if only my kids were grown. Right? And then in an empty house, we say, if only my kids would visit and then as a retiree in a rocking chair with stiff joints and fading sight we say if i were only a child again what it never works does it it never works ecclesiastes 1 verse 8 all things are wearisome Man's not even able to tell it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing and the ear never filled with hearing. Or as one person once said, I searched for all things that I might enjoy life. God gave me life that I might enjoy all things. What a different story. What a different story. When he had spent everything, we're told, he was still in need. So there's the revelation of a self-directed desire, Guys, that's, that's, we all come into the world like that. And don't fool yourself. You know that's true. We're no sooner here than all we want to do is fulfill that desire. We spend our life trying to fulfill that desire. And we realize that after we've done everything we've done to fulfill it, we're still unfulfilled. So comes step number four. Step number four, after we've done everything we can to fulfill it and we're still unfulfilled, step four is the pathetic acceptance of a life that is void of the purpose that it was intended to have. In other words, we just say, I guess this is it. I guess this is all there is, so I better make the best of it. You know anybody like that? These people are your neighbors. They're your co-workers. They're in your family. I guess this is it. Right? Life under the sun. I guess this is it. Verse 15, and he went, what did he do? I guess this is it. He went and he attached himself to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. I guess that's it. I guess that's it. Remember Robert Maxwell? Remember Robert Maxwell? Robert Maxwell was a billionaire. All right? I can't, I, I can't count past like 100 I don't know billions, especially when it comes to money. I can't count past the I can't count past 10. The older my daughters get, the lower the numbers go. <laughs> right? He was a billionaire. Now you can don't even look at me like that cuz you can't fathom it. You can't fathom it. I can't fathom it. The guy had billions. The guy had more than he would ever be able to spend in a thousand lifetimes. And I remember when he died, when they found his body floating off the, 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 the side of the yacht there in the Mediterranean. I remember he died. They, had, they did a documentary on his life. Does anybody remember that documentary? And they, they, they interviewed all of his personal assistants and his family and everybody else. And I will never forget, they interviewed the guy who was his closest PA, the, 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 the his right-hand man. And they interviewed him. And, and the guy was talking about Maxwell's life, and he was saying how, you know, in, in more recent years, the, the, he had just had to pay people to be his friend because nobody wanted to be around him. And then he said just a couple of weeks before Maxwell died, he made this statement. He's a billionaire. A couple of weeks before he died, he made this statement. He said this. He said, I worked all my life to get to the top, only to, just, only to discover that when I'd arrived, there was nothing there. Wow, what you get a billionaire. Absolutely unbelievable. You know what Solomon calls it in Ecclesiastes? He calls it life under the sun. Meaningless. Striving after the wind. And people just, people who, who come into the world and, 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 and they're trying to satisfy themselves and they do that all their lives and then they realize, I'm still unsatisfied. What do they do? I guess this is it. I worked all my life to get to the top only to realize that when I'd arrived, there's nothing there. So I guess that's it. I just keep going on that way. This guy in the story, listen to me here. This guy in the story was born to be the privileged son of a loving and a prosperous father. That was the purpose the father intended for this guy to have. You with me? That's the purpose God intends for human beings to have. He was born to be the privileged son of a loving and a prosperous father. But when it's all said and done, this guy is knee-deep in the mud feeding pigs. And when you remember that this guy was a Jew, there could be no more dishonoring work than that. So then comes step number five. Here you are. You're born in the world. You're a sinner. You've got the desire. You do all you can to fulfill it. You realize after you've done all you can you're still fulfilled so you just pathetically accept this is it. What happens next? Next is the reality that the longing now to be fulfilled is more pronounced than it's ever been. Are you with me? Why is it more pronounced now? Because you've done everything that you've done to try to fulfill yourself and you're not fulfilled. You're hungrier now than you've ever been. And I'll tell you, folks, you live around people and you work around people, and people are in your family and they're hungry. They might not know what they're hungry for, but they're starving. They're starving for the truth. They don't know what it is, you do. But I'll guarantee you something. They've been trying all their lives to be satisfied. They're still not satisfied. They've pathetically accepted, well, I guess that's it, and they're starving. Verse 16, longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. This guy's starving. Remember, Jesus is tell- He's trying to get something across to us here. He's not just telling us an agricultural story. He's trying to get a point across to us here. And I think he's talking about people. He's longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs are eating, and yet no one was giving him anything. Can I tell you something? May that never be said about you as a Christian. That you'd be around anybody, and they'd be able to say, I worked next to that guy for 20 years, and he never gave me anything. You mean that you've been in my family, you've been my cousin or my brother, and you knew all this, and you never gave me anything? I've been starving here. Granted, I don't know what I've been starving for, but you know what I was starving for, and you never gave me anything? And about seven years ago, I don't know what I had. I had a crash and burn. I had a burnout. I had a breakdown. I had something. And, 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 and one of the things that happened when that happened to me was that my wife will tell you this. My conscience got really, really Pricked. My, t- my conscience became tenderer than it ever became I, I had, I'd, I'd picked up these stones that were on the, on, the, on the shore up in Stonehaven was that where it was? up in Stonehaven on the way up to, to Aberdeen years before that I'd picked up a bucket of these things and I'd, I'd made a little rockery in our garden for that and, and while I was just really suffering at this time I remember looking out at those stones and the thought came to my mind I wonder if I broke the law by taking those things off the beach now, i laugh at that now, but that was a really struggling time for me. My, my, you, because I began to think, i got to bring those stones back. And my wife said, you are not driving up to Aberdeen <laughs> with a bucket full of stones to pour those things back out on the beach. But you know what I did? just I, Because of where my conscience was, and I was having panic and anxiety, and I couldn't sleep, and I just, I had to solve this problem. So I called the harbor master of Aberdeen. And I asked the guy, and I said, I, I said, um... You know here's what I did I picked these stones up I filled a bucket and I just need to know did I break the law and the guy must have thought that I was playing a practical joke or something you know and he just laughed and he said are you for real and I said I am for real just please did I break the law he said listen he said you can take a bucket of those things there's there's millions of them you can take out a bucket of those things and you can you know you can uh, you can bring them home and I I said well that's not what I'm asking you I just want to know did I break the law he said well he said, technically speaking, there's a, there's a, there's a, there is a law called the, 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 the Aberdeen Harbor Law of, I don't know what it was called, of 1967. And he said, but that was brought in because these big garden centers were coming up with backhoes and they were filling their trucks with these, you know, the lorries with these stones and taking them and selling them to people. He said, a small bucket for you is fine, I can assure you. I said, that's not what I asked you. I just want to know, did I break the law? And he said, technically speaking, he said, you broke the law. And that's all I needed to hear. I had to bring the stones back up. (laughs) And so those stones are on the beach, back up in Stonehaven. And Dubby's garden center has got 20 pounds of my money to buy a new set. Legally. All right, I know that's pathetic. But one of the things that happened to me then is I got a real tender conscience toward my family. And I thought, man these people are my family they're my cousins I don't know whether I've ever really shared Christ with them and so that Christmas I wrote them all a letter and I told them about heaven and I told them about hell and I thought Lord I just do not want to die not having told at least my family about Christ have you ever done that Can anybody say to you that I was starving and you knew where I could get something to eat and you never gave me anything I think that's what's going on here Never gave him anything. And what makes the longing now and the dissatisfaction worse than ever is that you've done everything you can to try to fulfill it here and and, and the the longing's still there. What's left? You've done everything. What's left? And let me tell you something here that's really just so sad. It is so sad that most, listen to me carefully here. All right? If you're going to fall asleep, fall asleep after this. What's so sad is that most people in this world never get past step five. This is how they die. This is where they die. They die a sinner trying so desperately to fulfill that self-directed... They've done everything they can. It's not worked. They accept a a life void of the purpose it was meant to have. And they're hungrier now than ever. And that's how they die. Most of your colleagues will die here. Most of your, 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 your friends will probably die here. Most of our world will die here. And that is so sad that so many lives just end there when there is a step six. Now, I'm going to try to pick up the pace here because we're only in step six, all right? But there's a step six. Step six is in verse 17. Look at it. But when he came to his senses... Do you not love that? Come on, come on. Give me something. You love it, don't you? But when he came to his senses... I didn't grow up in a Christian family. And when I got saved, when I met Christ, when I was 19 years old, all of my friends... And all of my family thought that I had lost my senses. Right? They thought, Sutton, you have blown your last fuse. They thought I lost my senses. Isn't it great to know from God's perspective when you come to Christ, you've come to your senses? Isn't that great? Smile at me. All right? But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men are more than enough bread? And I'm dying here of hunger. I know what I'll do. I'll get up and I'll go to my father. Notice that turning to Christ is coming to your senses. That's what it is. And the whole point, I think here is the whole point of the parable. I think here is the whole point of the parable. The whole point of the parable here is that there is a father who is always waiting, he's always vigilant, he's always prepared, he's always willing to accept the one who comes to his senses and comes to him. I think that's the the basic point, main point of the parable. God is always waiting for you to come to your senses and then come to him. That's step number six. And of course, once you've come to your senses, you automatically know what you have to do next. That's step number seven. You have to admit your sin And you have to surrender yourself In theological terms It's called repentance Verse 18 I'll get up I'll go to my father I'll say to him Father I've sinned against heaven Primarily First and foremost I've broken God's laws Not yours So primarily Even if somebody hurts me They've sinned against God Okay They haven't broken my commandments They've broken his I've sinned against heaven And in your sight I've hurt you too I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Here's repentant David in Psalm 51. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And that's what happens when you come to your senses. You realize you've done what's evil in God's sight and you know you've got to do something about it. So you turn to your sin and you hope God's got an answer for you, Right? That's what you do. It's called repentance. That's step number seven. Then comes step number eight. It's getting better all the time. Now we're on a roll. All right? The fireworks are gonna start going off any minute. Here's step number eight. And and I guess you could probably call step number eight the embrace of God. Um verse twenty. And he got up and he came to his father when he was still a long way off his father saw him felt compassion for him ran and embraced him and kissed him now if this if somebody and I hope somebody maybe does this sometime if somebody made this into a movie wouldn't you like to see a movie of the prodigal would be great if somebody made this into a movie this would be the time that you get out the hankies right isn't it the embrace of God here's when you would take out the hankies right at this point this is the only place I know of in the Bible correct me if I'm wrong Paul this is the only place that I know of in the Bible where there's ever a picture of God running. I don't know that there's any other place that I know of. I've, I've preached this loads of times, and I've, I've asked for help. I, I don't. I've never found another place in the Bible where God runs. Look through the Gospels. Look at the, the life of Jesus, and he's just walking. Right? Even when Lazarus has died, or he just walks, it doesn't say, "Man, did he run?" You know, he had to get there. Oof! Off he went. This is the only place, now get this, because this is powerful. This is the only place in the Bible where God is ever pictured as running. And where's he running? He's running to a repentant sinner, he's running to somebody that comes to their senses and turns to him. That's where God runs. That's where God runs. And I'll tell you something, I think that's powerful. I think that's powerful. You turn to Christ, He will embrace you. He won't say, take a hike. Listen, I've been trying to get through to you for years now, and I'm fed up. He opens His eyes wide. He opens His arms wide, and He embraces you. That's a beautiful part of the story. Step nine, God not only embraces us, he reconciles with us he he clothes us with eternal clothing doesn't he and in biblical terminology it's the righteousness of christ he clothes us with the righteousness of christ we're told in the body here the picture is of a robe he brings a robe he gives him the robe he puts the sandal on his feet the ring on his finger what's he doing what is jesus trying to tell us here remember it's a parable He's not saying when you, know, when, you, when, you, when you become a Christian, you go to wherever, Harvey Nicks or Jenner's, or, and you get some new clothes. No, this is spiritual. There's a spiritual thing going on here. You're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You are reconciled to God. You become His friend. That's what happens. Step number nine. And He clothes you, not only with the righteousness of Christ, but one day with an eternal dwelling. A body that's not going to get old and it's not going to, you know, fall apart. It's just going to be eternal. That's step number nine. And then step number ten. We're almost finished. Stay with me. You're Great, you guys. Ten points so far. Here it is. Step number ten. Pictured in the last few words of verse 24. And they began to be merry. Isn't that good? What's step number ten? Step number ten is the rejoicing that only a forgiven and redeemed human being can ever experience other people can have fun but nobody can rejoice like this unless you've known that you're forgiven of course you rejoice of course you rejoice absolutely it's this is the this is the best thing in the world that could ever happen to you you've been reconciled to god your sins are forgiven You're a child of the heavenly Father. And you're going home. Amen? Amen. So you rejoice. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Isn't that a great place to be? I would think that most of us here tonight, this is where we're at, right? We've been reconciled. We've come to our senses. We know what it means to be forgiven. Maybe you're here tonight and you've picked yourself out on some other part of the journey. If so, I hope that you'll follow the journey through. Most of us here tonight though This is where we're at Right? I can tell by the way you look You're rejoicing Look at you Look at you You're having so much fun You're saying When is this guy going to finish So I can go see the fireworks No, but you are I know that your face Isn't necessarily connected With your heart right now But It's probably there I bet it's there. And 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 I know I'm up and down. My emotions ride a roller coaster sometimes. But I rejoice because I really believe that God's true to his word and I've been forgiven for my sin and I'm going home. And isn't that a great place to be? Right? So let's all go home. Let's all go home. End of story. It's great, we're Christians. We're saved. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. Let's go home. Let's just have a big party, come to church, whoop it up, and then go home. End of the story, isn't it? So no, wait a minute, there's 11 steps. That's only step number 10. There's one more thing that we need to do before we go home, isn't there? This part always gets me. It always gets me. There's, a, there's an older brother I've got an older brother There's an older brother And I think the older brother here Is the guy that we need to connect with Before we go home You know it's all fine We're all on the bus We're having a great time You know Charlotte Chapel Curubbers. Oh it's great It's great to be a Christian isn't it And we're all on the bus And we're cruising down the road and we're going home but I'll tell you something as you're going home don't you dare forget to look out the window and just see the faces of all those people standing on the side of the road and unless somebody tells them about Christ sorry sorry They're never going to make it. They're never going to make it. You got people in your family like that. I got people in my family like that. You live next to people like that. And unless somebody tells them and feeds them, they're never going to make it. That's what we're here to do, folks. Yeah, it's great to worship, isn't it? It's great to come to church and to thank God and to worship in spirit and in truth but we're not home yet and until we get there God's got something for us to do and that is reach our world for Christ. There's an older brother and he's in your family he's living next door to you he's over at the next desk you'll pass him in the street and unless somebody tells him you're never going to make it. Will you? Will you? Will you renew your efforts to tell people about Christ in this city and beyond? Let's pray.